Welcome to Bride Body Family Temple, where we talk about all things church and what it means to be the people of God before a watching world. Uh, with me recording once again today is Mr. Matt Rao. Hey, what's up? Mark Russell. What up? And once again, Mr. Cam Wolford. Hello. Servant Leaders International. Uh, we're back for the second podcast with Cam today. Um, last time we talked a little bit about uh, what he does, what Servant Leaders does around the world in uh, planting churches and equipping the local church. And today we want to come back and we want to kind of hone in on this idea and have a discussion around the idea of um, doing training that is based within the local church uh, versus doing training that is uh, based around an institution or to, I should have maybe worded that the other way, local church-based training versus institutional-based uh, training. And um, uh, while there's obviously, I, I think everybody has benefited from uh, institutional-based training on some level, even though I've never been to Bible college or seminary, I've definitely uh, benefited from those things and the resources mm-hmm. um, and things that those people have, have put out without any question. Uh, at the same time, uh, we are of the conviction, I guess you would say, that there needs to be somewhat of an intentional shift towards really functionally allowing training to be done uh, uh, at the church level. And so, I don't know, it's kind of wide open. Cam, why don't you just kind of give us your thoughts your thoughts on some of that and what what you've seen and what you're kind of aiming and and shooting for and some of the stuff sure. that you're doing. So one of the the pieces of the puzzle that really jumped out at us early on was our inability to again take somebody from A to Z to really walk with them and for the church to be able to raise up its own men and women that were confident and competent to do high levels of ministry. Uh, I think the model that most of us came out of was institutionally dependent, right? So if you desire to do something high level in ministry, then the church pointed you to what they felt was a trusted institution. Uh, There's a lot of holes in that. Uh, One of those is uh, you're not sure if that person's ever going to come back, probably not going to come back to your church to be an asset to your church. They're going to go somewhere else. So they go away to study, they go away. Um, Another problem is that institutions take high levels of finances to sustain. And so what we're experiencing in the United States right now is a squeezing out of uh, really the church's capacity to send individuals to get trained because economically it's just not feasible anymore. So what's taken place on the the mission field for many years is that uh, historically missionaries took the institutions in their back pocket. They went as church planners, but they also went as institutional uh, men and women who institutionalized men and women who would start these uh, parachurch organizations to support the church planting movement. So they felt there had to be a camp, a Christian camp, a bookstore, a Bible institute, all these things need, needed to be in place for the churches to thrive. Well, uh, some places they could never get them going. Other places, when they left, they failed. And so the church historically has been left to really uh, just wander on its own and try to figure this out. So as we began to work through the church planting process, the idea r- arose that how do we leave these churches with, the again, the confidence and the competency that they can Um, not only see the need and diagnose the problem, we don't have enough men and women to do ministry effectively, but to be able to go and to approach men and women and help them move through the process so that we would uh, deinstitutionalize our mentality and really gain the, the ability to get back to the calling of the church, and that is everything life and ministry flows out of there. And so we can do that on our own. Yeah, so, or Mark, you got some of that? Okay. Maybe. Well, well, what I was going to say was, so, so what of the, 
what have been the the hurdles that you've been that you've been facing with that? As what have not been hurdles? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or what? what yeah. What's has has anything gone right? Yeah, <laughs> that, it's super difficult. So <laughs> yeah. to break down, okay, within the cultural context of coming as an American going into a uh, let's say Latin America and trying to do this, there has been a lot of uh, difficulty trying to on our end get the support to be able to go do that right a lot of people might applaud that but they don't know what it looks like on the latin american side it's to really uh, help the leadership that currently exists in the church to feel like they are confident and competent to raise men and women up when they might not feel like they are themselves confident or competent so you have to spend some time instructing uh building up uh assessing and helping them and then Put the tools in their hands so we spent uh, last 10 years trying to figure out what are the tools that we can uh, provide local churches to really do local church-based training and what we found is that the sandbox needs to be pretty big because you're dealing with churches that are some are rural some are uh, in the city in different country contexts so you can't just say hey take this model it works for everybody it has to be fluid yeah it has to be flexible yeah, I wonder too. The, the one of the things that comes to mind is just like in regards to what, um, what the training is. Is I think there's a real importance for the training to be obviously biblical, but also relevant. Like there's a whole smorgasbord list of things that you could start with, and I think like like sometimes one of my my issues with the institution, and let me give the, a proper caveat again, is like I totally understand that there's a place for the languages, for example. So Greek and Hebrew, like. I, I get it. Just everybody hear me say that. All right. However, I think though, just like when you're talking about guys that are looking to like plant churches, just just make disciples and like actually on the ground on the fr- on the front lines. I'll argue all day that the first thing that they need is not the languages, like or, or I, no, I I'm agree. assuming you agree no, with that. Okay, agree. <laughs> okay, pass that. I'm, I'm real good. Um, <laughs> um, but like, and again, that that's probably an extreme example. And I know that most places it was, oh, well, Eric, we we don't start there. But it's it's still like I think like relevancy matters. And I'm I'm not talking about like being culturally relevant and like hip and cool. But I'm I'm talking about like like taking the the basics of the Bible and showing people that it's enough. I'm uh, we've talked about this on other podcasts, but I'm such a firm believer in fundamentals and the power of fundamentals of course the example i always use is that like you know growing up played basketball we were we were we were we were decent you know we went to state a couple years in a row and i'm like five foot ten at best but let's go with it uh and i was our center you know you're like how did you know how did, how did that work how it, what because we were just we just out fundamental people and it's something that just like really got down into my dna on a lot of things and i'm a big believer that it's the same thing for church is like fundamentals can really take you a long way but so many times we are we're real crappy, if I can just say that, at the fundamentals of the faith and knowing how to handle the Bible, knowing how to study a passage of Scripture on your own, knowing how to just, you know, even do that in community and just simply leading a Bible study. When you're discipling somebody one-on-one, if somebody comes up to you and says, hey, would you disciple me, being able to actually sit down, open up your Bible, and just walk them through a book of the Bible and begin to to learn to learn together how to just read the Bible together in a group. Like, I mean, super one-on-one stuff, but I'm right. I'm personally of the conviction that like the average person, though they've sat through many Sunday school classes, they do not feel in any way equipped to do that themselves. And it's like, okay, what's well, that? Yeah, go ahead. that's where I, that's kind of where my mind goes quickly, just with this whole conversation. Because I think the main, if we're honest, I, th- I I think the main benefit or 
you know, what you get out of going to a seminary or an institute, a training institution like that is it's really, it's a theological depth. I think it's, there's a rigor to it, which on one hand it's, we want to say that's important, I think. And that's where yeah, it's kind of, a, yeah, yeah, like, sure. it, you know, you there's need work. that. Yep. And that's part of, I think, being able to teach and train, but I guess coming on, on this side of it now talking about, okay, how can the church do this? Um, Com- compared to that, is it, is it that, are, are we saying like, we don't, maybe we don't need the same level of rigor there as what you would get at a seminary. Is it, are we saying we need more than what you get at a seminary? I think that's part of it. How do we think about, and then even, even backing up there, if we're going to say, okay, there is a, there is a certain level of just competency theologically handling the Bible. Like there is, there are skills here. There's, there's, there's a, uh, there's right thinking that you need. I think you talk about fundamentals, a lot of that. Um, what is the level of that, that you actually need to one, be able to train guys, but then also have them be at a certain level to where they can go out and do it. Like, and, and you've got the cycle going. Does that make sense? What I'm getting yeah, at? It's, yeah. It's uh, so I think that if you, if you look at, let's say you go into an, an environment where they're, they're, does not exist institutions locally sure. or yeah. e- even nationally, and you desire to plant churches that plant churches, and you desire to protect doctrine mm-hmm. and practice, right? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So how do you how do you go about that? So if you expect out of everybody the same thing, then the tendency will be that you only have a few. You won't be able to mobilize everybody. Sure. Whereas I think that's in many ways that's what hap- has happened in 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 the American context yeah. is that we have really created what the reformers try to to stop <laughs> like part of the reformation we don't celebrate is the fact that they said clearly that the 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 catholic church at the time was saying that the vocation the calling was for the few mm-hmm. right it was for the priests the nuns the monks and the reformers said no the calling is for everyone we are generally called together towards sanctification in christ likeness and we are we are more specifically called and assigned as individuals to fulfill our gifted and roles within the context of the of the local church. So as somebody coming in and looking at that, we want to recognize that there are going to be some men and women that will progress and they will thrive at a high level of understanding and they will become the people that can control, protect doctrine and practice. But that's not expected over everybody. It's not everybody. Right. So what I want to do with the majority is I want to unleash them with the knowledge they need. Like if you go into a culture where they don't read, most cultures, I, mean, I don't probably read enough, but most cultures definitely don't have a culture of having a library in their house. They don't read. They don't buy books because they don't have money to buy books, and they weren't taught to read in school. I mean, they read, but they weren't taught to read to on in their house. So you go into a church and you say, as a follower of Jesus Christ, your primary responsibility as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus, you are now to be the best student you can be. We were given a book. So the first, you know, uh, priority is to help you understand that you need to study this book. That's a huge ask, right? Because people aren't used to that. So you got to train them. And then you say, not only do I want you to study this book, I want you to study it so that you can teach it. I want to give you the the skills that you can now take and be able to explain to others. That's another step up, right? The question is, can we do that at the local church level? Most definitely, because he's gifted some as teachers. Some he God has given us all that we need for life and ministry. 
within the local church. What we need to do is learn as leaders to polish that and really network within within the local church, network with people, and align them with uh, the opportunities they need to grow and be unleashed in that. I love that point, too. It, it's similar, I feel like, to some of what we were saying about church leadership, specifically team of leaders and complimenting one another and different giftings and stuff. But also, I think even bigger than that, thinking about the whole church and different giftings within the church and in some sense just trusting that the Lord he he has gifted his church in a way that these things are going he he's it's it's going to happen right if everybody's just faithfully kind of walking in the things he's gifted them in uh that he is going to grow the church and and do that through him and i was the the things that i was scribbling down here um just in terms of like the the fundamentals and what what you need to go forward number one is i do think you have to be uh, fluent in just knowing how to handle the word of God. So I go, you know, Second Timothy 2, what you've learned and heard from me and trust a faithful man who will be able to teach others also. You know, it's later on in the flow of thought there in that chapter, in the next chapter, you know, where he's talking about being a workman who needs not be ashamed, who rightly handles the word of truth. It's later on, the end of, cha- is it end of chapter 3, where he's, you know, all scripture is, you know, breathed out by God and, you know, is profitable. So it goes on that, the man of God may be complete, not lacking anything. So, so we have to just simply teach people how to read their Bibles, and and in, at least in the American context, I think it's a really interesting conversation about some of the stuff in just uh, many cultures that are um, uh, illiterate and don't know don't know how to read. So that's something. But at least in the American context, I'll argue all day long that though we have more biblical resources than almost any culture that's ever existed in the history of the world, we are still biblically illiterate because we don't know how to actually just handle the word of God for ourselves. And again, I'm not sure. like saying we have to know Greek and Hebrew, but I'm saying you have to be able to know how to rightly read the Bible, understand that it was given within a context, understanding just the flow of thought. But those are things that can be um, that can be learned. The other thing is just simply in the gospel itself, in being gospel fluent is a lot of times, you know, the, or gospel fluency is, uh, you know, a term that's thrown out there a lot. It's not in any way a, a phrase that's, that's original with us, but I was... T- we always say that like most Christians, um, even the, it, within the church, speak the gospel the same way that I speak Dutch, which is I know a few phrases, you know, growing up around here to initially get me by, you know, hey, have you bished? And then they respond in Dutch. I'm like, hey, I don't know. I don't know what's going on, you know. And I just, the, 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 gig, the gig's up after like two cents. I'm like, yeah, that's all I know. Um, but it's the same way. It's like we know just this simple language of like, well, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Y- yes, true. But we have no idea how the gospel applies, how to function in that, what it means to live day by day um, in light of all that Christ has, has done for us. And so um, I just like even for me, um, even those two things like uh, are just massive. And I'm of the opinion that we quite honestly stink at them really badly. But, however, the, then the thing that drives me nuts, if I can use a basketball analogy, is that we're all day long wanting to do these Bible studies and get these training resources where we're, we're, where we're learning how to do um, a reverse 360 dunk or a fadeaway one-footer when we can't even make a jump-stop layup. And it's like, we'll work on that all day long. And it's like, dude, we got, we got other things that we need to be working on here uh, other than this. So I don't know. Those are, those are just a couple a couple that come to mind. That's I good. I think it's uh, – yeah, all that – I think it's good. I think it's helpful. Um, and talking kind of more specifically on the content side, another thing we've talked about too is just the the idea of, uh, and this is something else we've talked about just with ministry and leadership and stuff, is uh, is the need for more than just theological education to 
to lead in the church. And um, I know that's something, Cam, you've talked about a little bit too, is kind of this idea of not just training the mind, but training the whole person. Will you just talk a little bit about your approach to that, what you sure. mean by that, kind of how you see that fleshing out? Again, uh, out of experience, as I've been involved in training up men, uh, one of the greatest errors that I've made is uh, helping men to move forward in, in ministry beyond their own character. And so they might have proven themselves with knowledge, uh, but they didn't prove themselves with character. And so, you know, most of our, our educational model is based on a classroom because it's the easiest thing to produce, right? So if I can gather people, I can teach people. So most of our education model within the local church is if I have a room, I can fill it and teach people about whatever. The problem is that I really am not tracking with them and, and understanding their, their character. So if if one of our, our values as a, as a ministry is that the, the greatest place to conduct ministry training is at the local church level, right? That's that's the place. Using that discipleship model, model at the local church, it's not about filling people's head with knowledge. It's about a transformed heart, right? Getting down to the soul of things, the way they think, the way they feel, the what they... Uh, how they discern. These are the things that are going to play out as people, as men and women become involved in ministry and, and produce longevity. And so we have to stop thinking that I can just give a class on something and then produce a person that is capable of doing ministry. A class won't produce that. You know, Paul said, what you have, what you have heard, what you have seen in me, now go do these things. He, he said, look, you, you've, you've heard me teach on these things. you You've watched this, but you've also seen a life that's committed to this. So what I'm teaching, I'm living, I'm applying. Now go do these things, right? And so I, that's the model that we would work off of head, hand, and heart, saying we, we want to give knowledge, but knowledge without character is, is, you know, falls way short. It doesn't last very long. We need to take time to mentor character, see traits that need to be transformed and changed. We also need to give a place where the hands go put things into practice, so if I'm working, for example, if I'm working with a, a couple in, in the leadership pipeline and my desire is that they move forward and I'm working on their finances, for example, we're, we're training them on biblically managing their finances, well, a skill would be I need to sit down with them and make sure that they run a budget and are able to handle their finances over a period of time, that they're putting into practice principles that we're teaching them and we're observing and coaching and mentoring along the way so that it's tested and proven and they have a new skill as they come in. Yeah, there's a, sorry, move my mic away from my face there for a second. I was writing some down. Um, but you know, the, the picture that was coming to mind, um, and, I, and I apologize for really milking the basketball illustrations here right now, but um, it's like my uh, my youngest one is in fourth grade. All my boys have been up through this, but like there's a bitty ball pro program at the local school. And it's like they have an entire, you know, bitty ball program where it's all third and fourth graders playing against other third and fourth graders, sometimes even younger, um, playing basketball. And it's all bad. <laughs> you know, like, like there is not a play where there is not a travel, where there is not a double dribble, where there's not uh, a foul. I mean, you could, you could blow the whistle on every single thing. But here's the thing. Um, they're discipling kids towards being good basketball players, and you've got to let them play. But, like, the idea of not just the learning, like, not just the intake, but also the output um, of, of having a, a place where the church is a place where people can get real-life opportunity and creating a culture within the church where, listen, 
we're all bad. Like, like, like I know. No, so, like within that, what's funny about it is, is like within that picture of Bitty Ball, there's some kids that definitely stand out from the others. Right. But if you were to call them, up, they're or, still traveling right. every 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 time they get the ball, you know, um, or whatever. And and they they might be better than, than some of the others, but they're still they they've still got issues. But just allowing the church to just be a place where, in discipleship, though, like like we're learning, but at the same time we're learning. We're also we're also doing because it, it's because if not, I think this is another aspect of the whole training thing is like we take in, we take in, we take in, we take in, but we never get to play. Like if you just have practices all the time and are working on drills and little, you know, minute skills of making a layup, doing jump shots, how to pass, how to set a pick, whatever. Um, but you never actually get to then um, harmonize or synergize all that within the game. Then you it's just never going to work. Like you have to learn how to do that in real time. And I think that the in many times of the church, like it's, we're afraid to let that go. I know one of the things, this isn't, this is switching metaphors here, but like I know early on, and I'm looking at Matt and Conrad here. Remember early on, we talked about how we wanted to be a church that, uh, gives the 16 year old the keys and okay, yeah, yeah. like you're legal, but you know, here you go. And like how we said, we're like, it's not like we're aiming for wrecking the car, but we understood that like the car is going to probably come back with a few dents on it, you know, <laughs> every now and then there's going to, there's going to be some stuff like that. But I think that sometimes within the church and this is gets into, you know, but just in terms of like leadership and how controlling they are, but sometimes it's like, we're afraid to like, you know, don't, don't right. scratch the car. Don't mess it up. And anyway, right. I'll stop. No, no there's a, there's stuff. a piece of this where you say in the church, we, we start off with people, if you look at a spectrum of leadership, how it moves forward, you say, in the beginning, I'm a master. So I'm working with people, and I'm telling them what to do. So I'm, I'm, a ma I'm filling a role of a master, and we can unravel that. But I'm yeah. telling them what to do and how to do it. I don't want them to stay there. I want to move them to where I'm a mentor. And you can even talk about positionally, right? The master is in front pulling, right? The mentor is alongside, and the mentor is guiding as they begin to put into practice things that you're teaching them. You're walking with them, and you're providing support as they do it. But my desire is to be a mobilizer so that I'm behind and I'm supporting, but they're out in front moving. And so there's this idea within local church. As we train people, that's the image we want to take place. We're not just one-dimensional where we're giving instruction and may God bless you and go out and do. No, we're saying we want to be involved and we're going to walk with you as you move from this relationship in the beginning. I'm the master teacher, right? I'm telling you what to do, how to do it. And then I'm the mentor and now I'm the mobilizer. You want people to move through that spectrum. Yeah, I think we talked about that earlier at Mercy Hill too. I mean, like you, I know Eric's, you know, once again, basketball analogy, but player coaches where we're, we're actually enabling people to come up and we're coaching them in that. And sometimes that's harder to do on the leadership uh, level because you're like, well, I, I, it'd just be easier if I just go ahead and do it. <laughs> oh, pragmatically, definitely. <laughs> yeah. then, then to like see them make mistakes or, you know, you're obviously there helping through it, but it would just be less clunky if I would just go ahead and do it. And I think sometimes that hinders um, this whole idea of what we're talking about. Yeah, and, and, it, and it creates a quagmire for what we like, and that's quantity. Mm. So if our desire is quantity over quality, then then education at the knowledge level, I can fill a room. Mm -hmm. And I can say I had 40 people in this class. But if I want quality, I truly can't mentor through an educational model at 40 people, maybe two or three. I think it's also interesting too, just like all of this stuff, it, and it seems obvious and kind of stupid to just say, honestly, but it, but it a hundred percent matters and trickles down into church culture. And like, I feel like it's easy to observe. You kind of have the, 
you kind of have the two sides a lot of times where it's like you have a church that's really, um, you know, smart. They have good teaching, uh, really sound doctrine, deep preaching, all this stuff, good Sunday school classes and everything. But it's a, it's a really cold culture. Like it's not, it's not relational. People don't feel welcome in. They, they, you know, the guy, the guy in the street, yeah, the guy in the street isn't going to, isn't going to hang around for five seconds. You know what I mean? But then on the other side, you have churches that are highly relational, very, you know, comfortable environment, very welcoming, very relational in that sense. But, but a lot of times more shallow theologically, you know what I mean? And I think if we just bat like, and just to draw the connection, I think a lot of times it is from this kind of starting at the leadership level, there's been this separation of, or, or maybe just acceptance of the one guy and however he's bent. And then you have church cultures that are, are created out of that. And, and that's why a lot of these, you know, that's why the churches look the way they do and are ineffective in, in different ways. So, so should you, should you rate, not rate, I guess a better word would be measure the success of the local church based on the amount of people you gather or the amount of people you mobilize? Well, for sure, the second one. I mean, yeah, the, the sending capacity versus the seating capacity. So that yeah. signifies an intentionality, right? Because mm-hmm. you're not just going to mobilize anybody. You're not going to just be a sender of anybody. Yeah. So there there must be a focus of uniting that relational aspect that you know people. Because you, you're not right. gonna, you shouldn't mobilize people you don't know because you yeah. don't know what to mobilize them in. And there has to be the intellectual side and the practical side where you bring those together that you're you're competent to help people on that path. and And you celebrate that. If, if you want to be known as that, do you, do you celebrate that as a church? Mm. Like when we bleed out our best, are we like, yeah, right. Yeah. Or, or are we like, man, I really don't want to see that. That hurts. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, shoot. Yeah, no, no, hundred percent. Yeah. That, that relational, that relational aspect, uh, definitely has to be there. Um, and being able to call out people's blind spots, which I think we talked a little bit about, uh, uh, on the last one. Um, the other thing with just getting back to the, the original question of just about how do you, um, how do you shift or pivot to, you know, more local church-based training versus institutional training. Um, but what you just mentioned, just what is the goal? You know, what, what is the end goal? Is sure. it, is it viable that every single person that becomes a member of the local church is told like, it, it might look slightly different because we all have different giftings in terms of like, the exact niche eventually of like the manner in which you do it, but it is God's will for your life that you are a disciple who makes disciples who, who uh, yeah. pours in, pours into other people on some level for the purpose of helping them become mature that they too can multiply um, and make disciples. And that doesn't necessarily mean eldership planting a church for each person, but it does mean being a part of a part of that overall mission and, uh, and helping people grow in it. And I, I think, you know, I just think about when Jesus called the disciples, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. But like he puts the expectation in, he bakes that in up front. He's like, you're not this, <laughs> you know, but follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And I think that many times we don't ever set that expectation uh, on people at all. And it, it actually robs them of like the purpose of the whole thing. Because even with, uh, Oh, I forget. Shoot, I just lost it. Whatever was some of us where earlier we we you know use the language of like um, not just teaching them the information, but having them teach the information. You know that 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 expectation is there really. So that's the agenda for the way that people 
Do you, is that, is that something, sorry, is that something you like, I'm assuming you communicate that very early on. Like this is the, there's an expectation almost here of, of not just that you kind of grow and mature. Like, I feel like everybody kind of gets that there's that expectation, but not to the level of I'm able to then turn around and reproduce. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that piece is in a lot of people's minds, just never even considered a lot of times. So if you're, if you're talking about, like we talked earlier about creating a culture where discipleship is the norm, right? Relationally, mm-hmm. we're, we're interacting with each other. We redefine discipleship a bit. And so as I, as I interact with each other, as we interact with each other, we're really helping each other in our progressive sanctification to become more like Christ. But there's also a process going on at the church level that those who lead me are leading me to be the man that Christ knows me to be. And so there's an intentionality that you're not just providing me a service. You're not just providing me a place. Yeah. You're providing me purpose. You're, you're not giving me purpose, but you're unleashing me in my purpose. So that as you begin to do that, you know, it's an intentional process of coming yeah. alongside of me and helping me to understand how God has wired me and, and what that looks like for me. So what happens is that you have now a church that is exploding with people that are doing things that you're not having to recruit for. Like typically the church is run on a volunteer system where you're constantly having to recruit. And so pragmatically that looks like you're you're plugging, you know, holes in the dike because one hole opens up, you find somebody. And we would all as leaders look at people and say, hey, hey John is willing. We would never rate John as he willing and able. We would just say he's willing, so we're going to take him into this bitch, right? John can fog a mirror. Right, right. So we'll use him. Stick your finger in this day, in this hole, please. And so, but real leadership unleashed in, at the at the church level in the biblical sense is that we're coming alongside each other, and our desire is to to be able to say, "You're willing, but not able," and I will walk with you, so you will become able, and we will discover together what you are supposed to be able to do and to be. That's well said. Yeah. I think it's just, again, such a different way of thinking than I feel like we often do in our context because it's, I think a lot of discipleship and we've talked about this too. It's, it's, uh, very much one-on-one, you know what I mean? Oftentimes I feel like initiated around some kind of, um, problem or something's come up that I need help with, which already is lending itself towards, you're helping me get through this kind of, and there's not much, not much in view other than just getting through this immediate situation. I, at Cedarville, we used to joke about like, it was, <laughs> it was always just funny, like how many guys would start coming around when they had a breakup. Like that was how a lot of them, we had a, we had a small right. group of guys we met and it turned into much more and that was really good. But that was like, for a lot of guys, that was the, that was kind of the entry thing that got them really serious about just their faith and Lord and all that stuff. But but just how often, because we don't, I, we just don't have a good vision. We don't have, we don't have a good understanding of what discipleship really is on that level that it just becomes reduced to that. And, and then there's nothing, there's nothing more than that really. Right. Because at, at the, at the most foundational point, when we talk about local church based training, we're talking about the process. Number one, of progressive sanctification because the fullness of progressive sanctification leads me into a position where I truly bring the most honor and glory to to God. And that is through the life that I live and the, and the fruit that I, that I give, not because of me, but because of him in my life. So that that's my chief end in my friendship. Mm-hmm. 
That's the chief end with my wife. That's the chief end with my children. That's the chief end. My life given over to you so that you can bring the most honor and glory to him. Yeah, well, I've also, um, I've heard this more than once. I heard it again this past week, just recently. But this this idea, too, and the, the little phrase was, um, it was, it was, this is almost verbatim, but, you know, like, we're, we're just, we tend to be a little bit more, and I'm, this is about, I won't say where this is, obviously, but we, we tend to be a little bit more mature, but we just have a hard time reaching the lost. Well, I, I, I don't think that's a thing. <laughs> like, I, I don't think that, I, I think that mature people know how to reach the lost because that's what we're doing. Like, that's the, like, that's the, that's the point of it. There's no such thing as just maturity for the sake of sitting around and saying we're mature. You know, it's um, uh, one of my favorite, and we, we got to wrap up here. I'll, I don't think I've told this story on the podcast before, but um, I forget who it was. It was in some sort of, uh, some South American country where there's a volcano. That's all I know. Um, <laughs> maybe those are many. I don't know. <laughs> sure. One of those places, <laughs> but there's this guy that was there was a missionary there, and short term teams would come down, and they'd come, and he would always like take them. They'd go on this walk, and usually took like uh, with a group. It would take like an hour and a half, two hours to get to the top of this volcano, and um, they were going, and most of the group made it up there in like an hour, hour and fifteen minutes. But there was a few older ladies that were along, and so he walked, and it took them like two and a half, three hours to get up there. But he stayed back with them and walked with them. And they were like afterwards, they're like, you know, you, you come up here all the time. They're like, how long does it take you, like, when you're just by yourself and just want to get up here? And he's like, 20 minutes, you know. And so he could have done it a lot shorter than all of them. But the point is, he stayed back with the group that, that took the longest. And it's like, that's what, like, real maturity is not just sitting around going, well, we're mature and that's why we get reached. But, but, and again, I say that, like, but I honestly, I'm saying that, like, I think we can fall into that. I think any church can, where we, where we think that maturity is this thing other than, being that people that's able to really uh, reach out and to uh, go to the to the least of these and um, in a way that truly is is loving and shows Christ to them and and is doing what he's what he's called us to do. So anyway, Cam, once again, thanks for uh, being with us. Uh, yeah. We hope you found this podcast uh, helpful, and we thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.